Amen. Isn't it, uh, isn't it something how this life throws things at you? You ever had that happen? Where all of a sudden there's a big surprising obstacle in your way. And that, of course, ties into our series called Moving Mountains. We are finishing up the Moving Mountains series uh, with week four today. Let's do a little uh, preliminary work and then we'll get into the new stuff for today. Moving Mountains. Uh, wouldn't it be great to be able to move mountains? It would be very, very handy. Good news is the Bible says that we can. Um, and we talked about finding out what your mountains are. Who does God want you to be on the inside? Most of us know that the... Most of us. I'm guessing all of us know that on the inside we are not who God wants us to be. And so that means there's mountains in here that need to move in order for us to get to that place. And on the outside, we very well may not be who God wants us to be. You know, if you've got uh, certain issues going on in your life that are on the outside, let's say that you're, you're uh, not having a good relationship with your employer, and the reason is, is because you're not that great of an employee, then, you know, there's stuff on the inside that needs to happen so that the stuff on the outside can get better. So, who does God want you to be on the outside? He wants you to be a good employee. He wants you to be somebody who's trustworthy and who uh, doesn't gripe and whine and take everything personally. You know, and so there, there's a person we need to be on the outside and there are mountains that need to move to get us to that place. And again, the good news is that the Bible teaches that we can move mountains. God supplies the power, you supply the faith, and mountains move. There are uh, five scriptures we've been reading as we go through this. And so... Let's look at them because it's one thing for the preacher guy to say, you can move mountains. It's another thing to read the scriptures and see what they say. Matthew 17, 20. This is Jesus speaking and he says this. I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. The context of Matthew 17 is a man came to the disciples with his son. His son was possessed by a demon and the disciples who were in the demon casting out business tried to cast out the demon and they couldn't. They tried real hard and they failed. And then Jesus shows up and, and he casts the demon out and the disciples are like, how come, how come we couldn't do that? What's the deal? And he says, if you have faith, you can move mountains. Mark 11, 23 and 24. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. The uh, context of this one is the, feathered, the withered fig tree. Withered wig tree. That's, that's a, that would be an interesting thing. Anyway, let's get, that's, I'm distracting myself now. That's not good. Um, the withered fig tree. Jesus went to the tree. He tried to get fruit off of it. It wasn't the season for figs, so there was no fruit, so he cursed it and withered and died. Interesting thing. This was a, basically a prophetic utterance on Jesus' part saying we are to bear fruit in season and out of season. We are to be ready 
to do what God calls us to do whenever God calls us to do it. And the disciples were all amazed that this tree withered and Jesus says, hey, if you got faith, you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will obey. Luke 17, 6. Jesus tells His disciples, if somebody sins against you seven times in a day and seven times says, I repent, then you forgive them seven times. They said, what? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. And this is Jesus' response. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the seed, and it will obey you. Jesus is saying, it's going to take some faith to forgive like that. But the impossible can be done if you have faith. Mark 10.27 A rich young ruler, a, a very up and coming young man comes to Jesus and he wants to know how to get eternal life. And Jesus you know, tells him a bunch of the, the basic stuff. And, uh, and then he says, hey, I'm doing the basic stuff. And then Jesus says, okay, i got another thing for you. Sell everything you got and come and follow me. Jesus was inviting him to be one of the disciples that walked with him on earth. And the young man said no. And this showed that lots of people want to go to heaven. They believe in God, but they're not willing to do what it takes to get there. This man was not willing to do that. The disciples were like, this is like the smartest guy, the richest guy. He's young up-and-comer. He's like the coolest top 1% guy. If he can't make it, who's going to make it? And Jesus says, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And then the Apostle Paul. If you study the Apostle Paul, he went through lots of stuff. He had times of wonderful victory. He had times of great suffering. And he said he had found the secret of being content in all circumstances. And this is what he says uh, related to that in Philippians 4.13. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, are these amazing promises? We should get to the bottom of this, figure out how to access this because there's amazing, wonderful things that are going on here. Last week we talked about who moves the mountains. Do you remember who moves the mountains? You do. God's involved, of course. <laughs> You can't move the mountains without the power of God. But it's not that we wait for the mountains to move. We wait for God to move the mountain. We just sit here and say, Lord, when are you going to move this mountain? It's we have a part to play in this. We are to do things. We are to step out. We are to be involved in moving the mountains. And we'll talk a little bit more about that today. Who resists the devil? In the Bible, it doesn't say to ask God to resist the devil for you. Here's what it says, James 4, 7. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We are to submit to God. Then, who resists the devil? We do. What I see happen a lot of times is people just sort of wait for God to do something. They don't resist the devil. They just 
get crushed by the devil. They don't try to move the mountain. They just cry because the mountain is there. And then they say, hey God, how come you're not taking care of the devil for me? How come you're not moving the mountain? Then they get mad at God. But God's doing His part. And if we don't do our part and get mad at God, then all that does is cause more problems for us because we separate ourselves out from God, get offended by God and start walking away. And then we're really in a difficult spot. So there's a part for us to play. We need to understand what that is. And again, we'll, we'll kind of get into that a little bit more today. So let's pray again, and we will get into some new material this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Holy Scriptures. I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that You don't leave us down here just to wander around and do the best we can, but You do guide us by Your Spirit and You guide us by Your Word. Help us to see what You've got for us today. Help us to... Um, help us to be able to walk in your ways. Not just think the right thoughts, but walk it all out before you. So bless our time now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This week, mountain moving faith. Your part is to have faith. I think a lot of people don't understand what faith is. So if our part is having faith, and faith accesses the power of God, then we need faith in order to make mountains move. So we need mountain-moving faith. If we need more of the power of God operating in our lives, we need more faith. But what is faith? We'll define that some today, and we'll also look at the other thing. Um, The first thing we need to talk about is... Shame, blame, and guilt are not your friends. Okay? Shame, blame, and guilt are not your friends. Feeling guilty for not having enough faith will not build your faith. It will erode your faith. Being ashamed of where you feel you are with your faith will not build your faith. It will erode your faith. These are things that do not help us. They are not our friends. Again, shame, blame, and guilt are not your friends. Uh, They're not going to help you on this. Now, uh, if if you are disobedient to God, you've separated yourself from God, you're rejecting stuff you know God wants you to do, then you need to repent. You may feel ashamed. You, you may have those negative feelings. But then you just need to repent and get that taken care of. And you can do that fairly quickly. Let me ask you a question. Do you think Jesus practiced what He preached? I believe He did. 100% of the time, all the time. You want to know something that He preached? It's from uh, what we've already looked at. Luke 17, 4-6. Here's Jesus preaching to His disciples. And he says, if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And he replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. So if Jesus is telling his disciples, if somebody sins against you, the same person seven times in one day, forgive him Every time. Do you think Jesus will forgive you if you sin against Him seven times in one day? 
He will forgive you. Now you'll, you'll be living a miserable life because you'll be destroying yourself along the path of needing to repent seven times in a day. But the Lord will forgive you. You know what I mean? Like, let's say I have a problem with watching my words that I say to my wife. And I say mean things. And I say, Lord, I'm sorry. I took a vow before you to, to be a good husband and I failed. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. The Lord will forgive me. Have I damaged my relationship with my wife? Yes. If I do that seven times in a day, it's not going to be long before that relationship is completely destroyed. I can still be forgiven, but I'll have a horrible marriage or maybe a divorce. So why would I want to do that? I want to start living right. I want to start speaking the right things, speaking life into my relationships rather than speaking destruction. So just because you get forgiven doesn't mean everything's fine. It could mean that you're still destroying your life, but the Lord has forgiven you. I am firmly convinced Jesus practices what He preaches. He preached, if somebody sins against you seven times in one day, forgive him when he asks and, and repents. And so I believe He will do that for us. So if you think to yourself, oh man, who am I to ask something of God? I am, I am not worthy of that. Then repent and move forward right then. Because you don't know how long it'll be before you'll need to repent again. Right? It may be a short period of time. So go forward with God in the, <laughs> until you mess it up again and then fix it. If it's a seven times in a day sort of a deal, you know, you need to get going quickly. Because we're not supposed to just cycle in the whole thing of, Failure, forgiveness, failure, forgiveness, failure, forgiveness, failure, forgiveness. That's not victory in Christ. That's just a mess. It's a terrible witness and it's a lot of unnecessary pain. What we need to do is have failure, forgiveness, and victory. Failure, forgiveness, and wisdom. Failure, forgiveness, and mountain-moving faith. So let's not get hung up on shame, blame, and guilt. It may be kind of viewed as the bread and butter of the church, but I tell you, it's, it's, it's not supposed to be the core of who we are as Christians is just walking around guilty all the time. We are to be free from guilt, free from shame, free from fear, and free from judging or blaming. Alright, what is faith? Faith is the unseen building blocks of hope and confidence. That's how I would say Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of, we do not, of what we do not see. Faith is the unseen building blocks of hope and confidence. Faith is knowing God and knowing that He is on your side. You know, it's not enough to know that God is. You have to know that God is on your side. And if you don't know God is on your side, God is on your side. Grace means He likes you more than He should. He just likes you. He doesn't have a good reason for it. You don't deserve it. He just likes you. He's, he's that way. He's got extra love in Him for you even when you don't deserve it. So hallelujah for that. Don't try to earn it. Just go, praise God. God's good. He likes me. So receive that. It's not enough to just know that God exists. Satan knows that God exists. But he's, op he's opposed to God. We need to know God exists and know He's on our side. Faith is what the old song Trust and Obey is talking about. I wonder if there would ever be a newfangled version of Trust and Obey. 
Think that would go in the cool churches? <laughs> Trust and obey. <laughs> Just believe Jesus and do what he says. How would that go in a song? You know, that might be a tough one. Uh, but that's what faith is. Trusting God and obeying God. That's faith. Faith is not just thinking God is real and wanting to go to heaven. The rich young ruler that we talked about a little bit ago thought God was real and wanted to go to heaven. And he said, what do I need to do to go to heaven? And Jesus said, we'll follow the rules. He said, I do follow the rules. And he said, okay, then come with me. And he said, no. It's not just thinking God is real and wanting to go to heaven. It's wanting to go with Jesus now. When Jesus says, yeah, that's great, come with me. Faith is, okay, I'm coming. Did you know you're not saved? Let's see, how did I write this down? Before I said you're not saved through good works, but you're saved to good works. Do you understand it? You're saved to something. You're not saved through living a godly life. You're saved to living a godly life. I'm not saved through being nice to my wife and honoring her properly and loving her the way the Bible says I should. I'm saved to that. It's not just about thinking God is real and wanting to go to heaven. It's about wanting to go with God. Wanting to go with Jesus. Faith has feet. Faith has feet. Faith has action. If you believe that God is real, that the opportunity for eternal life in the kingdom of God is available to all human beings and that most people don't find it, then you should be called to action. If you actually believe that. It should motivate you to do things. If we believe something and have true faith in that thing, it will demonstrate itself in our lives. I've used this example before. If we thought there was a hundred pounds of gold buried in the parking lot underneath the pavement, we would dig it up. We'd stop church. We'd go dig it up right now. Right? We'd be like, guys, the Lord showed me there's a hundred pounds of gold under there. Let's go. And we would rip it up and we'd all celebrate when we pulled up a hundred pounds of gold, right? But if we were like, you know, there's a hundred pounds of gold down there and we're just... Isn't that neat? Woo! And then we never went and got it? It'd be like, well, that doesn't even make any sense. There's something missing there. You know, and then the next week we celebrated again. There's 100 pounds of gold down there. Woo! But we never went to get it. Then that that faith isn't making any sense. It, It just doesn't seem to work. And so many people talk about God, talk about the power of God, talk about... Uh, all these things of God, but they don't do anything and it demonstrates that they don't believe it. They're just going along with the culture. 
Faith has feet. Let's go to James 2, 14 through 17. I love James. He apparently was fairly grumpy when he put this book together. So, James 2, 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? This is a rhetorical question. Can such faith save him? He's obviously saying no. That's not good enough. That's rich young ruler territory. I know God's real. I want to go to heaven, but I'm not willing to follow Jesus. If a man claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, it is, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. That's pretty strong, isn't it? Faith, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Just hoping things will go better without doing anything to change it doesn't make any sense. And faith, so faith has feet and faith speaks. Faith speaks. If our part is to move the mountain, if we, by faith, access the grace of God to move the mountain, how did Jesus say we're supposed to move the mountain? He said, talk to it. He said, tell the mountain, go from here to there. He said, tell the mulberry tree, go be uprooted and planted in the sea. He said to talk to it. Did you know... God has a very interesting uh, habit of asking people to do ridiculous things. Have you noticed that? The walls of Jericho are up. It's time to take the city. What are you going to do? Well, march around it seven times and play a bunch of music. What? That seems weird. What if you were Gideon? You'd be like, what? What if you were Abraham and he said, Take your son, the son of the promise, bring him up on the mountain, and you sacrifice him. The living God has a habit of asking us to do ridiculous things. I believe because He wants to know, will we follow Him when we don't understand what's going on? Because that's faith. If I know, you know better than me, and I don't understand why you're saying that, but I trust you more than I trust my understanding, even when I don't know what's going on and why you're saying what you're saying, and it seems contradictory to me, I'm still going to go with you. Because I trust you. That's faith. And I think that's why God asks people to do ridiculous things, is because He knows you're not going to understand that. But let's see if you'll do it. I think He wants to see where our faith is. It's a test. So Jesus said to talk to the mountains. Now I grew up thinking talk is cheap. Anybody anybody grow up that way? I grew up talk is cheap. You have to back up what you say by what you do. And in fact, you might as well just skip saying something and just do something because you're wasting your time while you're talking. Just get to work. Talk is cheap. Anybody else grow up like that? <laughs> what? And is there, a, is there a, a piece of truth in that? If somebody's just blowing smoke and they're, they're telling you they're going to do something and they never really intend to, hey, that's just lying. It's clearly not what God wants. But does God care about what we say? 
Let's read Matthew 12, 36 and 37. This is rather amazing. Jesus speaking again. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. So you're going to have to stand before God and He's going to say, why did you say that? And you're, you're, going, to, you're going to have to answer. You're going to have to give an account. And then, how long is this going to take? It's a good thing there's eternity, right? Because this is going to take some time. Because a lot of people... And there's a lot of careless things that have been said. And everyone will get the opportunity to stand before God and go, wow, I shouldn't have said that. I can feel the weight of that right now. (laughs) For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Does the living God take our words seriously? Oh my. Why? Because we can speak life and we can speak death. And if we speak life, we are speaking the words of God. And if we speak death, we are speaking basically the enemy of God. His language. Our God cares. Do you know how the living God created this universe? He spoke it. And we are made in His image. Now, don't try to speak the uh, universe into existence or something like that. And you've got to be careful with some of this stuff. You know, uh, my father-in-law had a friend who was a brand new believer. and You know how when you're just a brand new born again Christian, you're so excited and you're, oh, I'm going to conquer the world. And, and uh, there was a, a thunderstorm going on and it was raining cats and dogs. And this guy's like, what a great opportunity. I get to use my faith. So he goes out. This is what my father-in-law tells me now. He goes out into his front step and he stands up in front of the storm and he says, peace be still. And that's a big, big, huge thunderclap right next to him. He ran in the house and my, and he says he hid under the bed. But at least that guy was stepping out, right? But then you need to make adjustments. Then you need to think to yourself, okay, maybe I'm not called to tell the storm things, uh, in this situation. There are more important things than calming a storm that isn't hurting anybody. Just so that you can prove to yourself that you can do that. That was more of a selfish thing. But it's very important to understand that words are significant. We're going to talk about right now a misunderstanding. I've heard a lot of Christians come against the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And they say, well, that's just not true. You shouldn't say that. But here's the deal. It's not a statement of fact. It's a statement of faith. The reason you say it is because words hurt you. And what are you trying to do? You're trying to protect yourself from those words. Because you're thinking to yourself, how come these words are hurting me so much? How come this person who was created in the image of God is speaking death and it's it's hitting me to the to the core of who I am. Why are these words hurting me so much? 
Sticks and stones, I understand that. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's a statement of faith. And as you say things like that, your shield of faith starts to get stronger. And some ignorant fool called you a name. And so you're like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And then it hurts you a little less. And so you say it again. You know what? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And you feel less hurt. And it builds your faith and it it creates a barrier between evil words and your heart. It's a statement of faith. This is what Jesus is talking about with moving mountains. If you've got an offensive, uh, you're prone to being offended, you need to say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Now, is that in the Bible? No, but Romans 15, 1 through 3 is close. Let's read that. Romans 15, 1 through 3. We're going to have to look into it a little bit to see it. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Now, I don't understand these three verses completely, but I know this. There's the strong who need to bear with the failings of the weak. And it's talking about insults. So what would the failings of the weak probably be? Probably would be ignorant criticism. It's when you're criticized, but it's wrong. When somebody is attacking you, and it's just a failing on their part, it's their heart's got ick in it, and they're sharing their ick with you. So, what does the strong do when the weak are sharing their ick with each other? The strong bears with. That means the strong is not damaged and brought down by that, but the strong stays strong and tries to help the weak up. Okay, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's an interesting opinion. How did you come to that opinion? You know, well, let's try to bring you up over time. Get you to speak less evil. Speak less insults. So that's close, isn't it? Close. How do you get more faith? How do you get more faith? It's important to get more faith. And the Apostle Paul in Romans 10, 17 kind of helps us find out how to get more faith. Romans 10.17 Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the Word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith comes from the message. Now, if I'm going to trust God, do I get to just make up whatever I want God to do and say I'm trusting God? Like, can I just make up, there's a hundred pounds of gold buried underneath the, the parking lot, and then we'll have a, a, a gold digging service, and we'll go dig it up. How's that? How would that turn out? I would just look like a fool, because what I've been telling everybody is going to happen, and we're all putting our faith on and believing God for, is simply just not real. And it's going to look stupid. We need to believe the actual promises of God, and use them 
Like sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. When words hurt us, we want to fight it with a statement of faith. There are statements of faith in the Scriptures that when we see them not being true in our lives, we need to use them to make them true in our lives. A statement of faith that overcomes the evil that moves the mountain. Let's look at a few of those. There are some Bible statements of faith. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. We read this in the Foundations class last week. And every, every so often in the Foundations class, there's a particular thing that happens in a particular class and it's like, bam, that hit that group. And this was one that hit this group. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Is it hard following Jesus? Is it hard being a Christian? Oh, so hard. What's the Bible say? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if we are not experiencing my yoke is easy and my burden is light, do we go, oh man, that Bible's full of just all kinds of goofy stuff. Yoke is easy. What are you talking about? This is hard. No, this is a, this is something where, oh, I need to make an adjustment because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. What am I carrying I shouldn't be carrying? How do I need to do this? How do I need to change my life so that I can walk an easy burden? Now, he doesn't say there's no burden, right? There's no yoke. There is a yoke. He says, my yoke is easy. A couple of assumptions you need to make with that. First, take all the other yokes off. You know, you're, you're trying to serve everybody else's opinion of you. Take that yoke off. Just don't care anymore. It's easy. <laughs> uh. Imagine how much time you would save and how much emotional energy you'd be freed from if you didn't care what other people thought of you. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Get that off. And then when we're feeling stressed, when we're feeling broken, we can say, His yoke is easy, His burden is light. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And it's a statement of faith. And we speak it into our world and it starts to change our world. There's a, man, there's a bunch of them. If you want a few other examples, they'll be on the notes out at the table, the small group notes. But we're going to close. And uh, understand, there's a whole bunch of scriptures like that. There's ones that say, that say, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. There's amazing scriptures in there. And if we see mountains not moving, we need to try to build our faith, try to understand how can we access this better. I'm going to invite the prayer team up while I am telling you a story. My father-in-law, again, was a, a good spiritual mentor for me. And he told me the wheelbarrow story, which is apparently based on a true story about a guy who walked on a tightrope from one side of Niagara Falls to the other. Man, we got ourselves a prayer team. I didn't put my name tag on. Hey, I'm Pastor Mike from Good Hope Church in Cloquet. My name tag is in the closet over there. We got all kinds of human beings. Look at this. The front is being stormed. 
And I, I was talking to him about faith. What is faith? How does that work? And he said, well, you know, I got a story that really makes sense of faith and can help you understand. So I said, well, tell me the story. And so here's the story. I need two names. Give me, give me two names. Just shout them out. Give me. Gary. Gary and Bob. All right, we got Gary and Bob. Gary is a world-class tightrope walker. And Gary is at Niagara Falls, and there's a, a tightrope from the U.S. side to the Canadian side. I mean, right there in the spray of the falls. Little droplets of water are coming off of the tightrope. And Bob is on vacation. And Bob sees a sign that says, Observation Deck, $1. And he's like, what's this? Like, oh, there's a guy going to walk across that tightrope. You can see it from this observation deck, so it might cost you a dollar. He's like, okay. So he gives the guy a dollar, and he's up there. And Bob is watching, and pretty soon Gary comes out. And uh, he sees the people on the observation deck. He waves at them, and uh, he starts on that nice, wet tightrope. He starts going across. And Bob is thinking, this guy has a death wish. But he makes it to the other side. And everybody cheers, and it's very wonderful. And then he looks back at the observation deck and Gary's like, i to get back to America. So he starts walking backwards over the tightrope. And Bob's like, oh, that's craziness. What's he doing? And, but he makes it all the way. And he's like, oh, wow. And then, he, then Gary looks at the crowd and he, he brings a wheelbarrow and he rolls the front tire onto the tightrope. And he... He starts going. And Bob is like, he's pushing a wheelbarrow on a tightrope across Niagara Falls? I mean, you can't even do this then. You know, I mean, he's in trouble. He's not going to make it. He's got a death wish. But he makes it all the way to the other side. And Bob's like, oh, this is awesome. But Gary looks back at the crowd, looks at the tightrope, grabs his wheelbarrow, starts going backwards across the tightrope over Niagara Falls with a wheelbarrow. And Bob's like, Gary, you've lost it. What are you doing? You should have you should have just quit while you're ahead. But he makes it all the way to the other side. And Bob is just like, Gary's awesome. You know, he's just like, this is great. And then a little meet and greet afterwards. So Bob's like, I'm gonna go meet Gary, I'm gonna get his autograph, it's gonna be awesome. So he goes up there and he, he's like, Oh, that was awesome, a dollar, you know, that was this is the best dollar I've ever spent. That was great. And uh and Gary's like, Yo, you thought that was pretty impressive. And he's like, Yeah, I was, he went that way, came back, it was great. He's like, and so Gary's like, Well, do you think I could do it again? He's like, Bob's like, I, I, I think so. I mean, sure. I mean, you went, you didn't even falter. You didn't wobble or nothing. He's like, you, you did great. He's like, are you sure? Yeah, I think you could make it. He's like, all right, well then get in the wheelbarrow and let's go. <laughs> Faith in Jesus is putting yourself in his hands and letting him carry you to the other side. It's not just thinking He can do it and watching. It's going with Him. Then you have to trust Him. And my question is, is there anybody in here who wants to get in the wheelbarrow? Who wants to do what He says and truly walk by faith? There's something beautiful on the other side. That's where the mountains move. They don't move on this side. When we think, oh yeah, 
That would be great. You've got to get in, and it's a journey. But it's on the other side that mountains move. That's faith. Let's close our eyes. We'll pray. Again, the prayer team's here. If you've got a prayer need, if you want help getting in that wheelbarrow so you can say, yes, Lord Jesus, I'm with you. I will go with you. I will walk with you. I will trust and obey. I will, I will believe that you have made me clean and forgiven me and that you will bring me to the other side. If you've got that need, come forward when I, when I dismiss. If you've got a physical need, you need prayer for healing. If you've got a financial need, a relational need, anything. God cares about the little things. So we can pray. So let's close. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your grace and mercy. I thank You, Lord, that when we sin against You seven times in a day and we repent, You forgive us. You are glorious. You are wonderful. Let us trust in that by asking You for forgiveness and then trusting that we are forgiven. Not carrying the guilt, not carrying the shame, not walking in condemnation, but walking in newness of life and being free. Let us receive that. And Father, help us to see the mountains in our lives and help us to move them. We want to walk in Your overcoming power. We want to be more than conquerors. We want to be in the wheelbarrow and have a peaceful heart halfway across. Bring us there as we seek You. As we walk this out, help us. I pray a blessing over each one that's in this place. Let Your peace be with us. Let Your strength be in us. And help us to walk in Your ways. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. If you're heading out, uh, say hi to somebody you don't know. Encourage them in the Lord. Otherwise, come on down for prayer. The prayer team will pray with you.